You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. great to see you here. And I'm excited uh, to get into God's Word with you. You can pick up a Bible and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Of course, we want everyone to own their own Bible, so if you don't own one, take the one in front of you as our gift to you. It's page 269, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Last week we looked at a particularly shocking story of God's holiness, but this week we're going to look at a shocking story, we're going to contrast it, of God's kindness, God's love. Because one thing you've got to understand is God is not one and not the other, He's both. He is just, He is holy, He is above all things, but He's also loving and kind more than anyone else in this planet. He is both. And the man after God's own heart, David, which means a man who desires uh, to live the way God treats him, is going to show God's loving kindness to a man who doesn't have anything to offer him, a man who is unworthy in the eyes of the world. So let's read it together. 2 Samuel chapter 9, page 269, starting at verse 1. David asked, is there anyone remaining? From the family of Saul, I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked him, Is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, There is still Jonathan's son who is injured in both feet. The king asked, Where is he? Ziba answered the king, You'll find him in Lodabar, at the house of Mekar, son of Amiel. So King David had him brought from the house of Mekar, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell face down and paid homage. David said, Mephibosheth! I am your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. Since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you would take an interest in a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Saul's attendant, Ziba, and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him, and you are to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will always have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do all the Lord your king commands. 
So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. Uh, Lord God, you are the same God uh, that created the world thousands of years ago. Uh, you are the same God uh, who spoke to Abraham about your desire that everyone across the earth would know you. You are the same God uh, who took David out of uh, nothing life and made him king. You're the same God who saved me. The same God who came and lived on the earth as a man 2,000 years ago and died as a substitution for our sin. You are the same God now and forever. And I pray that you would show each person in here where they are and who they are in this story and help us come to faith and salvation through this great story. In Jesus' name, amen. So one day, David wakes up. Everything is going well in his life. And a memory floods back to his mind. There's a memory from a long time ago. And he remembers, and he, he starts asking around, and he's asking, is there anyone in uh, left from Saul's family that I can show a kindness to? And not just any kindness, but the kindness of God. We need to make something clear right off the bat. This is not just stor some story of somebody doing nice things. This is not just a, a story of kindness or him overflowing out of the abundance of his life. This is a story of David fulfilling a covenant, which is a promise that he had made to Jonathan, a guy who had died a long time ago, the son of Saul, who was his best friend. Do you remember back uh, uh, in our, as we've been going through this series, it was a long time ago and David is on the run. David is losing everything he had. He's living out in the wilderness. And, and Jonathan, his only friend, his best friend comes to him at, at Jonathan's height and he finds this man living in the wilderness and, and his best friend and he makes a covenant to him and we read it again in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14. Uh, Jonathan said, as long as I live, treat me with the Lord's loving devotion that I may not die and do not cut off your loving devotion from my household. Do not even when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord hold David's enemies accountable. And Jonathan had David affirm his vow out of love for him. For Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Almost two decades of turmoil have passed in David's life. It is now peace. His enemies are gone, his kingdom is complete, the ark is in place, everything David wants or could want he has. He has wealth, he has power, he has position. And one day in all this, he remembers a promise that he had made 
to a dead man. But not just any dead man, to his dead best friend. He'll never have another friend like Jonathan. But it's important for us to remember that this is a promise that was just between two men, one of them which is dead. The only other person that knows about this promise is God. And so David could have just let the thought, the memory pass by. After all, it was an extremely stressful period of time in David's life. Uh, he was on the run. He, he was homeless. Uh, he did make the promise to the guy uh, who was the son of the guy who was trying to kill him. He could have just said, I made that promise. It was rather impulsive. It was built off the emotion of the moment. I wasn't really thinking it through. I'm sure he could justify in his own mind, I'll just let that promise fade off into the past. He could have acted off of his feelings because what he's about to do, most people wouldn't really feel like doing. Maybe you can think back on a time in your life when you made a promise. It was to a person. Maybe you can think back when you made the promises to your spouse, your wedding vows, and the way you would treat them, the way you would serve them, and the way you would stand by them. And you can remember those promises, and you think in your mind, ah, I remember I made them. I remember I said I'd treat them in that way. Ah, but so much time has passed. So much has happened since then. I, I just don't feel the same way that I used to. Maybe you made a promise to someone, if you borrowed money from them, you'd pay them back maybe an institution, and, and, and at first you did intend to pay them back, but, you know, things happen, and, and you had to buy this, and you had to buy that, and, you know, time passed, and the deadlines went past, and, and, and all you just forgot. By, by the way, you couldn't just uh, hand over money to them because then you'd be without, and they're probably fine without it. Maybe you can think back on a time you made a promise to God. You were in a tight spot in your life. And so you said to God, God, if you will just fill in the blank, then I promise for the rest of my life I will fill in the blank. Anyone ever done that? I promise to God. And then the time goes by and, and you don't follow through on that and, and you justify it in your mind. God knows that I made that promise in a, in a time of stress and emotion. He didn't really expect me to keep it, did he? You know, it's easy to make promises, isn't it? It's easy to just say something in the heat of the moment. It's much harder to follow through on our promises, especially since we Canadians, we uh, Westerners, we're so acting off of our emotions all the time. Instead of what is true, we act off how we feel. But David doesn't just allow that memory to fade off into the past. Now, he acts on the memory of the promise. And by that, he acts in faithfulness. And you know what is amazing is this is God's character. Last week, we talked about God's greatness. That's one of the characteristics of God. God is great. Another characteristic of God is that he is good, the goodness of God. And one of the reasons God is good is he always fulfills his promises, always 
Moses reminds us that God fulfills his worldwide promises, his big promises. In Numbers chapter 23, he says, God is not a man that he would lie or the son of a man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill it? No, God is faithful, and because he's faithful, he's good. But he's not just faithful on big things, right? He, uh, think of all the things that God has said from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Did you know that most of the promises that God said on a worldwide level he has fulfilled, they have come to pass? Only a small few prophecies have not come true. Whether they were made 3,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago, most have come to pass. There's only a few, and they are specifically for the end of the world, for the last days, as the Bible calls it. But we should look at the past and know with confidence that God will fulfill all of those. He is wrapping up this earth. He will do everything he said he will. He is faithful in the big things, but he's also faithful in the small, individual, uh, little things in our lives, the promises he's made. Again, Moses reminds us of this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know that the Lord your God is faithful. He is a God who keeps his gracious covenant of loyalty for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commands. Uh, so you're not just a face in the sea of oceans. God knows you. God has made promises to you if you trust him, if you believe in him, if you follow him. He's made a covenant with you as an individual person, and he will fulfill all of them. He is not like us, and sometimes we can get frustrated with God. I, I hear it in, in my job. I come to people, and they're frustrated. They're angry with God because they feel like God has not fulfilled a promise that they think he made to them, but sometimes the reality is, is that God never made that promise. We in our minds said God made that. That's why it's so important that we know God's word because in God's word are all the promises to us, his covenant with us. And it keeps us from becoming frustrated and, and angry and thinking God said he'd do things that he never actually said he would do. So David remembers this promise and instead of allowing it to go by, he's going to fulfill it. He's going to be faithful to it. And so he, he calls uh, his servants, is there anybody left? And they say, well, yeah, Ziba's left. He used to serve Saul. Let's get him in here. So he comes in here. This guy's obviously uh, still got some wealth. He didn't lose it all when Saul lost his kingship. He used to serve the family. And, and he calls him in, and Ziba comes in, and we find out later this guy's a snake. But he comes in all respectful, and, and the king asks him, is there anyone left that I can show uh, God's loving kindness to? And, and I'm sure Ziba's thought in his mind, yeah, sure, you want to show loving kindness. Because that's not what kings did when they took over uh, from a previous king. Uh, it's customary in those days and still in some places that you would exterminate the whole family, the whole lineage. Anyone who could ever come and, and threaten your kingship, you would take them out. And so I'm sure Ziba was thinking in his head, well, you just want to know if there's anyone left that can challenge you as king and you're going to kill them. So I'll tell you. So he tells them, yeah, there's one guy left. He lives in a place called Lodabar. That's a place that doesn't even exist now. It was so insignificant, it has been wiped off the face of the planet. It was 
a hick little stickville place. Now, I told you at the start, this was not just a story of kindness, but this is a story of him fulfilling a promise that he made, a covenant. And the king hears that he's a crippled man. Not only is he the grandson of the man who tried to kill him, but he's a crippled man. And again, we have to understand the culture. Uh, Kings didn't associate with crippled people. In those days, as still it is in in many uh, places that are undeveloped, a crippled person is looked at as a cursed person, as a person uh, that is in the lowest of realms. And a king would not associate with a crippled, diseased person. And yet, again, the king calls for him. He doesn't just send a hit squad. He calls for the man to come into his presence. I can imagine that the house of Mephibosheth this little cabin out, this podunk place, uh, insignificant. He's out there with a couple of people and, and there's a knock at the door and, and whoever's looking after him because he couldn't walk, they probably had to carry him everywhere, probably had to carry him to the bathroom and who's ever there looking after him goes and opens the door and there's uh, an official of the king. They realize this isn't just a neighbor coming to ask for some sugar. There's probably armed guards there. Yes, yes, can I help you? Is this the house where Mephibosheth is? Uh, Yes, the king summons him. Okay, hold on a minute. Uh, Mephibosheth, and he he shifts around in his chair. Yes, uh, the king has sent people to get you. You're to come before his presence. And I'm sure in his heart it just sunk because he thought... The king has found me, and the king is coming for me, and I am going to die. Think of all the hardship that this young man has gone through. He lost his father. He lost his position. He lost everything, and he's crippled, forgotten about. And now he's going to be killed. So he comes in, and he falls before the king face down. He didn't come in with an attitude, you know what, you may be here to kill me, but God's going to deal with you, or, or you know how difficult you've made my life, David, you, you know all you took from me, comes in, a very humble attitude, David says, Mephibosheth, and I can just imagine him raising up his, his head, I'm your servant, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Can you imagine what he was thinking as he lays there, prostrate on the ground? The king knows my name. The king, the champion of Goliath, the one my grandfather hunted for over a decade, knows my name. And he just told me not to be afraid. This is a guy living out in Lodabar. Nobody lives out there. He's living in a cabin. He's in the desert. He can't even help himself. He's from a disgraced family. He's got no resources. The king knows his name. Oh, this is an awesome reality. In a world of 8 billion people, 
where we often feel like nobody really knows me, nobody really sees me, where we're constantly grasping for recognition, uh, whether it be through work or whether it be through social media or, or through school. Oh, would somebody see me and take notice of me? God knows our name. Did you know that? Wherever you've come from, whatever your past is, God knows your name. The same thing he said to Jeremiah is, true to you. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. When you were 10 minutes old inside your uh, mother's womb, God knew your name. When you took your first steps in life, God knew you. At the worst possible moments in your life, God knows you. And at the brightest times in your life, God knows you. It's an amazing understanding to have. It changes everything. And don't miss what David says next. This is probably the most important verse, verse 7 in the, the whole chapter. And David said to him, Since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all your grandfather's salt fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Don't be afraid, Jonathan. Or don't be afraid, Mephibosheth. You think I'm going to kill you but I'm not. I'm going to show you kindness because I made a promise to your father. I know you were probably only five years old when I made that promise to your father that I intend to keep it. I, I know you're afraid I'm going to kill you because your grandfather was pretty mean to me and, and you don't even know that I made this promise, but I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to treat you the way your grandfather didn't treat me. Even though they would say, you're to be my enemy, I'm going to welcome you into my family. I know you don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. I know there's nothing you can do to earn it, but I'm going to do it anyways. What a wonderful picture of God's grace towards us. This is the Christian faith. Mephibosheth didn't receive what he thought he would. And what he received, he didn't deserve. This is amazing grace. Do not fear. Do not fear. You, do not fear. God says you don't have to fear. You should fear. And some of you know you should fear because some of you have done some pretty wicked things. Some of you have gotten away with some stuff. Some of you think some pretty evil, wicked things in your minds. And if God was to bring that to light, you would have something to fear. But God says to you today, don't fear. You don't have to be afraid. I don't want to destroy you. Uh, kind of like the uh, shepherds when the angels came on Christmas morning and they were terrified. Who is this angel? They're terrified and they say, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news with great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. God's desire is not to judge you, but to show you kindness. Did you know that's God's desire, to show you kindness? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he says, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
That's an amazing thing. God doesn't want to wipe the floor with you. He doesn't want to take vengeance on you for the things that you've gotten away with. He wants to show you kindness, but not just show you kindness and throw you into the corner. He wants to restore. You've all lost things. Sin has affected your lives. God wants to restore you. Just as Mephibosheth had lost everything and he has it restored to him, so God wants to do that for you and I as we put our faith in him. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 3, your God will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces of all the places where you've been scattered. No matter how far away you end up, God, your God, will get you out of there. This is God's desire in our life. We've made a disaster of our lives, but when we put our faith in him, when we come humbly before Jesus, as Methuselah did before David, he starts to pick up the pieces and give us what we don't deserve. And not only does he want to restore us, but he wants to adopt us into his family and treat us like his own son. John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be called children of God, to those who believe in his name. This is the Christian message. If you get anything from reading your Bible, from coming to church, it's this, that God doesn't want you to be left in your sin, that when you stand before him someday, he doesn't want the record of your life read. He wants it wiped clean through faith in his son. All Mephibosheth had to do was a small part to humbly come before the king, to receive the gift he had been given, and to believe it. And he would. He would stand faithfully by David through the worst and hardest times in David's life. This is all we have to do. A small part to play in our salvation, in our restoration. To believe in humility and receive it. This is amazing grace, John Newton would later write. Maybe you've heard of this man. He was a captain of a slave ship, one of the lowest forms of human beings that we could ever think of. He would go to Africa and take people from their homes and stick them in overcrowded, horrible conditions as they would cross the sea a couple hundred years ago and then sell these human beings into slavery. And one day, John Newton was uh, captaining his ship and he was uh, on the bow and he was uh, leading the ship in this great storm, one of those storms that they knew would sink the ship. And he tied himself to the wheel because somebody had just been swept overboard. He later rem remembers. And he cries out to Christ, God, save me! And as he was writing the words of amazing grace that we sang some couple decades later, he says, I was remembering that time on that boat when I cried out to God knowing that I did not deserve this, that I had human beings down in the bottom of the ship. And as he became a pastor later on, and he would every week write a, a hymn to encourage his people, he wrote this one day, and he says, when I was remembering just how broken and undeserving I was. And we all know the words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Same grace saved John Newton and sent his life in a totally different direction. A man unworthy. And Mephibosheth sees that he is unworthy. Look at his response, verse 8. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you would take interest in a dead dog like me? Some good old-fashioned honesty. Isn't it? In a, in a time where we always try and make ourselves look good in front of other people, oh, my issues aren't really that bad. It's all somebody else's fault. Here's some honesty. I'm a dead dog in your sight. I'm unworthy. I know what my family did to you. I think this is one of the reasons so many people never actually receive the grace that has been offered to them. They never come to that place where they trust in Jesus Christ because they can't bring themselves to realize they are their biggest problem. That we are, in fact, at the bottom of the pile. I'm there underneath you. Lame, shameful, crippled, diseased, with nothing to offer God. The typical Canadian response would be, well, pastor, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I do nice things for people. I help my neighbor with their groceries. I've never really done too many bad things. Well, not that you know of. So, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person. God will be fine with me if he weighs my bad things to my good things. I'm sure my good things will outweigh the bad. But that's wrong. That is not the right perception of our sin in front of a holy God. Mephibosheth's response is the correct response. And because of that humility, he receives grace. Have you come to that place in your life? Have you ever realized, these are harsh words, that we are in the sight of God, dead dogs? If you do, it will be one of the most freeing moments that you will ever have. David sought this man out, like Christ seeks us out. He shows him grace he doesn't deserve. Not only that, but he appoints a team uh, to take care of him as God appoints angels to take care of us and look after us. And not only that, he gives him everything that was uh, restored. He restores everything and so much more. He eats at the king's table like one of the king's sons. Can you imagine that dinner engagement? It was a big to-do the TV wasn't on. It wasn't a microwave dinners. This was a big affair. They would bring them in one by one. Can you imagine? I can see uh, Joab, the general, walking into the king's table and taking his place. And I can see Benaiah and all his strength, the captain of the guard, coming in and taking his place. I can see Absalom, the prince who was the best looking, they say, in the whole kingdom, coming and taking his place. And, and then there's Solomon who would become the king someday, the wisest taking his place. They're, they all look the part and they should be there. But then there's this crippled man who needs to be carried in 
Mephibosheth, the one who doesn't belong there, has been adopted and invited to sit at the king's table. This is David at his best. We're going to see him at his worst in a few weeks, but this is David at his best. I think this is even better than when he slayed Goliath, demonstrating a love and kindness, a grace we could call it. Grace is loving and kindness that, doesn't, that isn't deserved. It's getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you deserve. David can remember this. This is why David is treating him. He was once like Mephibosheth. He says it a few chapters before in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18. He goes before God after God has brought peace to him and established him as the king. And he remembers what he used to be. And he says to God, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? David remembers. He was a nobody. He was a desert rack a desert rat. He was a bum living out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody cared about him. His own family didn't even care about him. And God took him out of that. And David remembers, the only reason I am where I am is by the grace of God. And so I'm going to give that same grace, same kindness to someone else. This should be the natural response for anyone who has truly received the grace of Jesus Christ, that they give that grace to other people. I can remember when I was first saved, that first six months, that first year, I I walked around with this, this reality, this understanding of just how undeserving I was. I had been given a second chance. I should have been dead or in prison. I should have not be alive. But there I was. And, and understanding the grace of God that had been given to me, something changed inside of me. I didn't deserve it. The deepest part of me, I knew it. I saw myself as Mephibosheth, but way worse. And now I had a seat at the king's table. And now I heard his voice. Now I knew he loved me. Now I knew he'd be with me whatever came in life. And now I started to see the world in a very different place, and I started to see human beings not as people that I use for myself to get ahead, but as God's sons and daughters that he desperately wants loved. And I remember it was about three months later, I came to faith uh, sometime in early October and late December-ish, early January. I was driving along. I lived in Owen Sound. I was raising my two kids on my own. And I was driving. If you've ever been to Owen Sound, there's a Little Caesars. Uh, you come up over this hill and there's a Little Caesars on the right. And I was driving past it. And this was back in 2000 and uh, just about 2008, December of uh, 2007, sometime around there. And as back in when, remember Little Caesar, somebody would carry the sign, right, for the, the cheap pizzas. You remember those days? And, and it was snowing quite heavily. And, and I saw it was dark. It was dusk. And I saw this man limping like this, carrying the sign. Bigger man. Crippled man. And I, I, I can remember very vividly driving by and, and looking over my shoulder and, and coming forward. And, and then I heard the voice of God, turn around and go back. And so I turned around 
and went back and pulled into the lot and got out and reached into my pocket and I don't know, I had some sort of money in there and I went up to the man and, and I tapped on the shoulder. He didn't hear me coming up and, and he turned around and I said, you're doing such a great job because who would want to do this job? And I gave it to him and he said, thank you. And I realized that this man was handicapped. And so I went away and I started going to church a few weeks before that. And so I'm in church and in the front area, they had a big front foyer. And all of a sudden, this man, if we can get the picture up, Dan, he, he comes out and, he's, and he comes over and he says, remember me? I'm the one that was carrying the sign. Thank you so much. And God spoke to me. This is my dear son, whom I love. The world would say he has nothing to offer, that he is to be disregarded. But I want you to love this man. And so from there, that point on, Dan would come over to our house every month and we'd take him out for dinner or we'd eat there with him and we'd go camping with him in the summer. I can remember when Rebecca first uh, went camping with us and he, he snored like nobody's business in the tent next and I don't think she slept a night. And then when we moved away from Owen Sound, every year I would look forward to getting together with him. That was this summer. And when I'm around Dan... I feel closer to Christ. I see Christ in him. I know that to the world, he's the least of these, but to Christ, he's the most important. And I feel closer to our Lord as I'm with him. Sure, he might not have much that the world would say he can offer me, but he gives me so much that the world could never give me. Have you demonstrated the grace and love to somebody who can never repay you that Christ has given to you as David did to Mephibosheth, as Christ did to me? About 150 years later, the prophet Isaiah would write about this coming Messiah uh, and he says, when this Messiah, this king will come, David was dead, Solomon was dead, when this king comes, uh, the lame will see, or the lame will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the captives will be set free. And people started to say, who, who is this king? Who, who will he be? And for 600 years, they, they waited for him, and, and then this man came, and the lame started to walk. And the blind started to see and the deaf started to hear. And those uh, trapped in prisons of sin started to be set free. And they said, surely this must be the one that the prophet had spoken about. The one who would come from the line of David. Uh, the one that David foreshadowed. And he started to go around. And, and one day, uh, early on in his ministry, he stopped in front of this uh, booth where this man Levi was. And the people around him said, what's he doing talking to him? Because Levi was a criminal. He was a scumbag. He was a mafia boss, a real low-life degenerate. And Jesus says, come and follow me. 
And the captive was set free. And they said, doesn't Jesus know who that guy is? What's he doing? And Jesus just shrugged it off. And then a little while later, he would again go to another guy. This guy was an even bigger scumbag. He was the leader of the mafia bosses, Zacchaeus. And he went and ate with Zacchaeus, and he showed him grace and forgiveness. And they said, doesn't Jesus know who this guy is? This is a bad dude. He does not deserve the treatment he is giving. Doesn't, doesn't Jesus know that the Messiah will come for those who have got it all together? Who, who, those who, who look the part? Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. Those weighed down with sin. Those who are in need of a savior. Have you ever received Truly received. I'm not talking about have you gone to church all your life. Have you ever received the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ? The kind that sets you free and changes your life forever. If you haven't, you can at any moment of your life. All you must do is come before the Lord and cry out to him to save you. And then go and live a life like a son or a daughter of the king, knowing that he is with you every step of the way, showing his love and kindness to all you come into contact with. If you haven't, I'm going to encourage you as I pray to do that. And I'll be up here. Uh, some, one of the elders will be up here. Um, and we want to pray with you after. God, we... Thank you for your amazing grace that saved us not only from the consequences of sin oh, but all our dysfunction that comes along with it, all the pain and suffering that I would have caused. You're making us new. I pray for those in here. Maybe they've gone to church all their life and maybe they haven't but they've never really seen their need for you. They've never really experienced your grace. Lord, oh, I pray that they would come to that place and would be welcome to your table. I pray for those who have been Christians, who, who have, in some point in their life, received you as their Lord and Savior, who have, like Methuselah, called you Lord. I pray that they would Go and show that loving kindness as David did to a world that is broken, a world that is desperately looking for authentic faith. God, would you change us? Help us. We're works in progress, yes. But keep changing us until that day when we go to be with you. Thank you so much for sending your son to die for us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.